And well, thank you, Kevin. And uh, thank you again for being here this morning. If you're listening online later to this, thank you for doing that. We'd love to have you tune in to that. Um, I don't know what your relationship with your dad is like, uh, what your relationship with your father is like. And for some of you, it's a good relationship. and others, it's a little more distant. Um, some, it's certainly distant. Um, but I don't know if you have someone in your life who's a father-type figure, someone that you can go to who can kind of share with you uh, some really good advice. And what we've been doing in the series that we call Good to Know over the last five weeks and now into week six is kind of coming to the table with Solomon as a father. And he pulled his son up to the table, kind of like, I'm sure it was just like this one. And he kind of said to his son, son, I want to tell you some things. And he pulled the son up to the table and gave him some things that he wanted to know. And we've been reading about those things in the book of Proverbs chapter 3. And what we learned last week when Solomon had his son up to the table is we learned about wisdom, that wisdom we said is more valuable than and more useful than, and we filled in the blanks here last week, wisdom is more valuable than and useful than money, power, reputation, uh, influence, prestige, all kinds of things. In fact, when you are in your biggest bind and you can't figure out what to do, rarely do you sit there and count your money and then all of a sudden a good idea comes to you. <laughs> wisdom precedes all of that. And so wisdom is more useful than and more valuable than anything else that we can imagine here in this world. So we kind of said that. Now, having said that, if that is true, the question that we left you with last week is, if this is true, how can I get wisdom? Where do I find it? Because Solomon, as he was sitting here with his son, he basically said to him, son, blessed are you if you find it, because it doesn't just come to you, right? I don't know if you remember me saying last week, but your first ideas are rarely your best ideas, right? They're just the first ones. You ever have that experience? And that's what I think Solomon is saying to his son. Listen, you have some ideas that are probably good, but first ideas aren't always our best. They're just first. And so blessed are you if you find wisdom, because it's more valuable and useful than anything else that you can have. So we had to ask the question, then how in the world do we find it? Now, here, here's what I, I did. This um, summer, we've been in Proverbs 3 um, every time that I've been speaking. And what I found is that Solomon is speaking to his son not only in Proverbs chapter 3, but also actually in the proverb right before that, in Proverbs chapter 2. And so I want to take you there without delay this morning, right to the book of Proverbs. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want you to, to turn uh, either on your phone or your, your app of some kind or, or the Bible in the pew around you. That's our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to have you grab that. But the book of Proverbs is kind of in the middle of your Bible. You'll find the Psalms and then the Proverbs. And we're going to go to the, the chapter right before chapter 3, which of course, because you're smart people, you already know, is Proverbs chapter 2. And in Proverbs chapter 2, Solomon is seated still at the table with his son, and he actually gives the answer to the question, how in the world can you find wisdom? Now, look here one second before you get too far into the text. This answer, there is an answer. I'm not going to leave you hanging. There is actually an answer to how do you find wisdom. There is an answer, and Solomon just straight up gives it in Proverbs 2. But I will tell you, it is preceded it is preceded by a big decision that Solomon's son is going to have to make, and it precedes for you and for me. We need to look at this moment and decide, am I going to cross this bridge to get to the answer or not? So every one of us is going to be faced with a big decision, but there is an answer to the question, how can I find wisdom? All right. So I want to go to the text with you, and I want to show you. You then get to decide if I'm right or not, but I'm, I can 
can guarantee you there's an answer to it, but it's preceded, there's a catch. It's preceded by a big decision you have to make and I have to make to figure out if we actually want to find the answer to the question. Okay, so let's start reading in Proverbs chapter 2. I'm reading from the New International Version, NIV, and that should be the version in your pew Bible there as well. All right, so he's sitting, Solomon's sitting at the table of his son. He says, my son, if, now let's stop right there. Wasn't that great? Good start. Because right away, there's a, wait for it, there's a big if in the room. Come on, can you see the big if? Like there's, a, there's a big if in the room. Thank you, I'm hearing. All right. There's a, there's a big if in the room, right? There's a big if in your text. And we run right by these prepositions in the Bible like they're just a quick little thing on the way to something else. But I'm telling you, this is the beginning of an if-then statement, this is the beginning of a cause-effect statement, and we cannot have the effect without the cause. We cannot have the then without the if, and when there's a, an if like this, this is a big if. This is the decision moment. If you will do this, and he's going to get to, then this will happen. But this is the moment where Solomon says to his son, son, there's going to be an if, and here's the big if. And If-then statements work throughout our life. They work in almost every area of life, and they're very important. If any of you ever bought a house, you know this. If, here's how this works, if you decide to buy a house, then you get the benefit of paying every month on that house, right? Like when that mortgage comes due, you then must pay it because you've made the decision to cross the bridge, that big if, ah, should we do this? If we decide to buy the house, then we've decided to pay monthly mortgage payments. If I decide to join the team, then I will go to practice every day for the season. If I decide to marry this person, then I get to spend holidays with their parents. All right? That's fine for me. All right? Some of you may have some issues. Anyway, but if-then statements work in all of life. And in order to get to the then, we have to cross the bridge of the if. And Solomon just sets it up to his son right away, if, and there's a big if in the room, if, and when, you, you know this if you own a house, if you have decided to either rent an apartment, buy a house, or do whatever, if you have made that decision, then, listen to this, then you cannot argue with the consequences of your decision. When the mortgage comes due, I cannot argue with the bank that I do not owe them X amount of dollars to pay for the house. I mean, I can, but at some point I will get kicked out of my house, right? If I've made the decision, then the consequences come. The benefits come. There's if, then. It's just the way it works. This is the opening catch, the big if in the room in Solomon's brain. My son, if, and this is a huge if, if you, son, are going to accept the things that I'm about to say, if you will do these things, and you, 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 and me, 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 get to make the decision of the if before we get to the then. And here's the first if. My son, look back at your text. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, pause it there. If, if, you will, first of all, accept my words. If you will take the words that I give you, take your ideas, and put my words, my ideas, above yours. That's the first if. 
if you will, listen to it this way, this should offend you, if you are willing to give up your autonomy, if you are willing to give up being the final authority, if you are willing to give up the one who can make the final decision, because that's the only way to accept someone else's words is to acknowledge that I am not going to be the one to make the final decision. It's a question I have to ask myself, and it's this, and can I accept, can I accept that God's ideas are better than my best ideas? I have really good ideas. I know you do too, right? I mean, you've gotten this far. But Solomon's kind of putting this to his son. If you, if, 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 if you are willing to accept that God's ideas are better than your best ideas, now we're on our way. But if, <laughs> works the other way, if you aren't sure you're willing to accept, if you still want to hold on to autonomy, if you still want to be the one to be the judge about how to handle that relationship, if you still want to be the one to judge how am I going to handle my money, if you still want that authority, you can have it. Just know that you will not find the wisdom of God. So Solomon begins with a big if. If you are willing to accept and give away the thing that is most valuable to you, your authority, your autonomy, your right, if you can accept that, and store up my commands. And here's what we know. We know that we actually like good ideas more than our own ideas. We actually like the best ideas better than we like our own ideas. Imagine for a minute if you're driving on a road trip with a friend, you're going to a place that you've been a couple years ago, and he happens to be, she happens to be behind the wheel, and you're in the riding shotgun, and you both kind of forget how to get there, wherever there is. And vague memory comes back to you, and there comes time to make a decision, do I turn left or do I turn right? You're sure it's left, they're sure it's right. And because they're driving, they're going to go right. So for the next 10 minutes, you're arguing with them, like, oh, see, I've never seen that there before. We should not have gone this way. I told you it was left, told you it was left. And then all of a sudden, you pull up to the place where you're at. You're like, shoot, you, you were right. Now, you don't say that, right? I mean, you don't ever say that they're right. But here's what you know. You would rather... You would rather follow the best ideas than follow your own. You would rather have not spent 30 minutes driving around aimlessly and been wrong because you prefer, and I prefer, the best ideas even over my own ideas. And this is what Solomon is saying. God's ideas are going to be better than my best. And if you can accept that and give up autonomy and give up your final authority, now we're on our way. Then he says, and store up my commands, store up the commands. It's almost like these little blocks, and this is why these blocks are here. It's almost as if that God, I'm not God, but just imagine with me for a minute, not me, but anyway, that, that God has these, these blocks of wisdom to give, and, and Solomon's kind of saying to his son, take these commands, take these words and these ideas, and just kind of store them, like put them in a place in your brain and in your heart, because you're going to need them for later. Like if you'll take these ideas, you're going to store them up. Later on, they're going to go off like a time bomb. Like you're going to read something, you're going to hear something about how, how to how to love women well, and you're 12 years old right now. You don't care at all. Later on, you're going to be like, where did I learn 
how to do this. It'll go off later as a time bomb. Like, take this information, store it up. If you'll accept it and you'll store up my commands. And look what he says in verse 2. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. In other words, take these ideas, take these words, these concepts, accept them, like trust them. And this is hard because I want to, when you upset me, I want to be angry at you. But God seems to say, like, love your enemies. Accept my words. Like, I have to love you when you make me really angry. That, that isn't what I want to do. Like, somewhere in the Bible I read, you know, I shouldn't gossip about you, and you shouldn't gossip about me. But I really would prefer that, because that's more fun. But somewhere along the line, if you accept my words, you are not in charge. I don't have autonomy and authority to decide that. If you accept my words, store them up. And then turn your ear and apply your heart to understanding. What he's saying is, take these ideas and evaluate the experiences that you have. And you know that evaluated experience is better than just experience, right? Like, you ever know someone and you're like, when, you ever say this, when will they learn? When will they learn? They keep getting in a relationship with someone like that. They keep dropping out of this. They keep failing in this. They keep making those kind of, when will they learn? Well, they will learn when the experience becomes evaluated. Otherwise, it's just experience. Otherwise, it's just another relationship and someone else's fault, just another decision, someone else's fault, just another whatever. Evaluated experiences are what change us and allow us to see what good God can do through us, not just experiences. It's like my basketball coach in high school said, he said, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Now, don't just go out and show up in the gym and start chucking the ball up at the free throw line and saying, I'm practicing free throws. Like, this is no basketball motion, okay? That's like a frantic, I'm drowning motion. You can, I can shoot free throws that way, and I can practice them. But that's not going to make me better. Proper form, evaluating the experience makes you better. And this is what applying your heart to understanding is. Apply your heart to what you know. You know how to love. You know how to serve. You know how to lead your business. You know how to serve in your marriage and your relationship. Apply your heart to experience. When it doesn't work and when you're stressed in your relationships, stop for a minute and evaluate that experience. Apply your heart to understanding what I have stored up in here. What does this thing now mean to me? Apply your heart, evaluate the experience, he says to Solomon. And then he goes further, because sometimes, sometimes things that we think we know and are kind of stored up for us aren't enough to handle the weight of what we experience. Many of you know what Kevin prayed for earlier here today. Many of you know James and Rose Mast. And, uh, for those who don't know, Rose um, just passed away suddenly uh, about a week and a half ago, 49 years old. So, a friend of mine and many of you, James served as an elder here at the church for years. Um, so as James now, flying back to Florida yesterday, tries to process where does life go you know, for him and for his kids, there are going to be things that for now he's going to have to look at and be like, I had this much stored up, but my needs are now greater than my resources. I have these resources, but no one prepped me for this time. This was not expected. All of a sudden, I have needs that go well beyond what I'm currently prepped for. That's his situation. For you, it might be children. My kids are going crazy. Like, no one prepped me for this. Or school, college. Like, I am stressed. I don't know what my future holds. And my needs, I need to know how to handle it. And it goes beyond my current resources. Like, I need another two or three or four, eight, ten blocks. I don't know, in other words, what to do. 
And this is where he adds the second kind of if. Look at verse 3. This is the second if. And if, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure. Pause it right there. This is the second one. If you not only will accept, but if you will also pursue. Look at the verbs used again. They, they come with increasing intensity in verses 3 and 4. If you call out, as if you're standing there like, I need help, I need help. And then cry aloud. This is a deeper kind of soul level. I'm crying aloud. And then if you look for it as you would look for silver, like now you are committed to the cause. I'm increasing the intensity of my pursuit. And then not just silver, but imagine it were hidden treasure and you are searching for this as hidden treasure. And Solomon pushes it into his son and says, you are going to need to pursue wisdom in as dogged a way as I can communicate to you. And there will be times when you cry aloud, when you call out, nothing happens. There will be times when you cry out, nothing happens. There's going to be times when you look for it as silver and you're not going to get an answer. Then you're going to need to search for it as hidden treasure. In other words, if you're trying to get into the house and the front door is locked, you don't just stand there hoping the front door kind of unlocks itself. You start walking around the house, and like someone had, maybe we left the window open, maybe the side door, the back door is open. There's got to be some other way to get in. You're kind of dogged in your pursuit of getting in. This is what we love about people who are heroes. They never give up in the pursuit. And this is what Solomon says to his son. Two things. If you'll accept this, and then if you will have in your character a character of pursuit, of perseverance, of diligence, of desire, don't ever give up. Know that this is valuable. Search after the things of God. If you will accept that his ideas are better than your best ideas, and if you will pursue it, not just sitting there calling out for it, maybe crying aloud, maybe looking, go the whole way and never give up. If you will pursue it, then, 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 verse 5. And here's the then. Here's the effect to the cause. Here's the then to the if. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. See, then, and I told you I would answer the question, how can you find knowledge? How can you find the wisdom of God? Solomon answers it in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord is the one who gives wisdom. And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now here's the picture that we see is that somewhere along the line, God is kind of sitting there giving to the people who pursue wisdom the answers to the questions, the hope, and the direction that they need for life. This is a challenging thing, in my opinion, to figure out how this works. The problem with this is that life is complicated and it's more nuanced than principles. Principles are static, but life is dynamic. Principles are simple. And here's, take this for example, the principle of love your enemies. It's a pretty simple principle. And most probably sitting here listening online would agree this is what Jesus taught. Probably a good idea. But life is dynamic. But like when does this apply? I don't always know how and when to apply the wisdom of God. For example, I, I will tell you if someone comes into my house late at night and has evil intent with my family, you know, the first thought in my mind will be, I hope Jen gets up. No, I'm just kidding. It won't be, it won't be, 
to love my neighbor as myself. It won't be to love your enemies, right? Like, I will probably not think twice about doing whatever I need to do to stop someone who intends to harm my family. We read about Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany, a famous pastor and, and theologian, great writer and thinker and leader of the church. He was alive during the time of the Holocaust, and there's a, you know, a ruler named Hitler who happened to be in charge. We don't read anything about Bonhoeffer sitting around there talking to the church about, you know, how can we love Hitler? How can we love our enemy? We read about Bonhoeffer talking about how do I assassinate Hitler? And none of us think twice about that. Love your enemy. Unless his name's Hitler. Unless he's in the middle of your home at 2 a.m. See, the principle is static, but life is dynamic. Sometimes I don't know how to apply or when to apply. One of my favorite passages in the book of Proverbs that we're in right now, but Solomon says, he says, don't, don't answer a fool according to his folly, or basically you will become like him. Like, you ever see that argument? Like, don't, don't get into that, because if you get into that, you're lowering yourself. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. You're, you'll, you'll become like him. You'll be drugged down. And then the very next verse, very next verse, says this. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he become wise in his own eyes. That's great, Solomon. I have no idea what you want me to do. See, the principle is static, but life is dynamic. Does that mean that when someone is bullying me on social media, that I should react to that and engage in that? Is that what that means? Is that answering a fool or not answering a fool? I don't know. Does that mean that when my in-laws say this, or when my ex says that, or when my pastor says this, or whatever, when someone kind of wrongs me, what should I do? Like, should I or should I not? I don't know. See, the principle is static, but life is dynamic, and life requires this wisdom of God to know how in the world do I take what's stored up for me, that's kind of time bombs go off later, and apply my heart to it. And Solomon here says the same thing that James says in James chapter 1. James, the brother of Jesus, says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives freely without finding fault. This is what God does. So here's what I put together, just because I wanted to have something that would rhyme for you and something for fun. So it's, this is bordering on cheese. Uh, cheesiness, all right, cheesiness, but here you go. I hope this will help you. And if it doesn't, that's fine, but I hope it does. Ready? You got you to be ready. I need to know if we're ready for this, okay? Okay, here, we're going to give it a run. So I hope this will help you because this summarizes some of what I'm trying to say here this morning, okay? And it's a little bit rhymy, so maybe it, maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't. But here you go. If you want to know what to do, accept God's word and pursue, okay? Pursue, do, that kind of rhymes. If you want to know I'm, I'm, right, I'm reaching, but I'm trying. If you want to know what to do, here's the ifs. Accept God's word and pursue. Like, accept that God's word is going to be better than mine. And if I don't cross that bridge, that's the big if at the beginning. If I am not willing to give up my autonomy, my authority, my right to be right, if I won't give that up, then I will not find the wisdom of God. But if I'm willing to accept God's word above my own, no matter what. And if I'm willing to pursue, then God gives, he directs, and he leads. And you will find what you're looking for. But I will tell you, and you know this, that as soon as you give up your autonomy, go back to the road trip for a minute with your friend, those 10 minutes after the decision is made to turn right instead of left, and you were sure that it was left, not right, they are not very comfortable moments, are they? Not for you. Your friend is fine. 
but not for you, not for me. Because I am sure that this feels wrong. I never saw that before. Can't remember this. I'm sure that this doesn't feel right because I'm in a space that I wouldn't have chosen to be in. And that's why accepting is so hard. If I'm willing to accept God's word and he tells me that I have to love my neighbor as myself, and my family is used to condemning people, they're used to judging people, (laughs) and I have to act differently now, this will feel hard, strange, and wrong for the 10 minutes it takes to get to my destination, which could be 10 years in real life. This is what he says, if you're willing to accept my words and pursue. If you want to know what to do, accept God's word and pursue. And so here's a couple questions for me. Number one, am I willing to accept that God's ideas are better than my best? That's my question for me. If it's helpful to you, I hope it's helpful to you. Am I willing to accept that? That I'm going to put myself under God's word is best. So we have a value statement that we talk about here at GPC where we say at the beginning, middle, and end of the day, beginning, middle, and end of the day, God's word, his ways, the truth of God is better, takes the cake, leads over my best ideas. Beginning, middle, and end of the day, God is in charge, we say, and what he wants goes. When I wake up, when I do my stuff, and when I go to bed, God is in charge and what he wants goes no matter what. No matter if I feel like loving, forgiving, caring, serving, whatever, no matter. If God wants me to, I'll do it. That's what we say. Secondly, am I willing to pursue God's ideas with desire and perseverance to get after it like hidden treasure? When you're pushed away, pushed aside, you can't figure it out, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, because that's what Solomon tells his son. By the way, This is how all good things work, isn't it? Accept and pursue. If you're married, isn't this how you guys got married? You accepted? Yep, she's the one I want to chase. Yeah, he's the one I'm willing to go out with. You pursued, regardless of what happened with all the stumbling around that you had. If you started the business, you accepted, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. Doggone it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to quit my job where there's stability and I'm going to accept this as my future. All that it takes. And I'm going to pursue it with all that I have. I'm going to accept the fact that I want our team to win the world championships. And I'm going to pursue whatever it takes to get there. This is the same principle that we use for anything that is worth doing. And Solomon says, listen, accept my words and pursue them. Now, let me finish with this. What would you do for someone who, who did everything for you? What would you do for someone who did everything for you? In other words, you can think of a time when you were in great need and you had a friend come over. They sat with you maybe for a minute. They provided a meal for you. They maybe fixed something that needed fixed. They did something for you that went well beyond the ordinary. And you had that impression in your heart like, man, these people, they care. They care a lot. They took time out of their schedule, out of their life, to come and sit with me, to lead, to serve, to help me. People like that are valuable, aren't they? Like when people like that then later come into my life and tell me, Tim, if you're asking, this is what I think you should do. I, like you, will be very inclined to listen to what they say. Why? Because I know they are for me, right? I know they care. And so when I think about this question, why should you, why should I accept God's words above mine? 
The answer for me is because of what Jesus has done for me. If God sends his son, Jesus, to die on my behalf in the ultimate sacrifice and then invites me to trust him and his words, I'm going to give him the same ear that I would give any of you when you help me in my greatest time of need. All of a sudden, I realize you are for me deeply. And I'm going to listen to you because you've earned my hearing. God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has earned my hearing. When Jesus died on that cross for me and for you, all of a sudden, it's no longer do what I say because I'm in charge. It's do what I say because I love you. Because I want what's best for you. Because I made you. Because I care for you. This is why I want to accept and pursue. I want to accept that God's word is above my best ideas. Because he is for me. Not because he's against me. Not because he's in charge. But because he loves me. So I hope for you that you'll accept and pursue. Because God loves you, quite frankly. Because God sent his son Jesus to die for you and to die for me. It's an amazing, amazing gift that the church gets to celebrate. And if you don't know what that means, if you don't know what that relationship is like, if you have never processed, what does this mean for me to accept that Jesus died on the cross for me? I'm telling you, this is a conversation anyone sitting near you would love to have with you today before you leave. It's a conversation I would love to have with you before you leave. Now, here's what we get to do as a church. Every now and then, we get to celebrate this thing that Jesus did of dying on the cross for us. It's an event that we call communion. And so we're going to share in right now. We're going to share um, in communion.